One, two, one, two. Yeah. Special dedication to my brothers and sisters on the great continent of Africa. The saints in Malawi, Ghana, Nigeria, Kenya, Zimbabwe. Don't be deceived by what America's sending y'all, yeah. man. Let me begin. While there's still ink left in my pen, I'm set to contend. For truth, you can bet will offend. Deception within. The church, man, who's letting them in? We talked about this years ago. Let's address it again. Yeah. And I ain't really trying to start beef. But some who claim to be part of the sheep got some sharp teeth. And cats get mean when you criticize them. But Jesus told us Matthew 7, 16, we can recognize them. And God forbid that for the love of some fans, I keep quiet and watch them die with their blood on my hands. So there's nothing left for me to do except to speak to you in the spirit of Jude 3 and 2 Peter 2. And I know that some will label me a Pharisee because today the only heresy is saying that this heresy. I'll dare to be specific and drop some clarity on the popularity of the gospel of prosperity. Turn off TBN. That channel is overrated. The pastors speak bogus statements financially motivated. It's kind of like a pyramid scheme. Visualize heretics Christianizing the American dream. It's foul and deceitful. They're lying to people. Teaching that camel squeeze through the eye of a needle Ungodly and wicked Ask yourself, how can they not be convicted? Treating Jesus like a lottery ticket And you're thinking they're not the dangerous type Cause some of the statements are right That only proves that Satan comes as an angel of light This teaching can't be believed without a cause The liars, you can achieve a crown without a cause And I hear it all the time when they speak on the block Even unbelievers are shocked how they're feasting the flock It should be obvious then Yeah, I'll explain why it's sin Peep the Bible, it's in 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10 it talks about how the desire for riches Has left many souls on fire in stitches Mired in ditches Tell me who would teach you to pursue as a goal The very thing that the Bible says will ruin your soul Huh? Yet they're encouraging the love of money To make it worse They've exported this garbage into other countries My heart breaks even now as I'm rhyming You want to know what all false teachers have in common? What? It's called selfism The fastest growing religion They just dress it up and call it Christian Don't be deceived by this funny biz if you come to Jesus for money, then he's not your God. Money, money is. Jesus is not a means to an end. No. The gospel is he came to redeem us from sin. And that is the message forever I'll yell. Down. If you're living your best life now, you're headed for hell. Talk to him. Jewel Osteen. Let him know. Crestle Dollar is a false teacher. Well, Benny Hinn is a false teacher. I know they're popular, but don't let them deceive ya. Talk to him. T.D. Jakes is a false teacher. Tell the truth. Joyce Meyer is a false teacher. Let them know. Paula White is a false teacher. Use your discernment, let the Bible lead ya. Keep going. Fred Price is a false teacher. Tell the truth. Kenneth Copeland is a false teacher. Who else? Who else? Robert Tilton is a false teacher. I know they're popular, but don't let them deceive ya. Talk to them. Eddie Long is a false teacher. Let them know. Anita Bynum is a false teacher. Who else? Who else? Paul Krause is a false teacher. Use your discernment, let the Bible lead ya. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3.
Welcome back, my friends, to The Forge in the book of Jude. We are going to pick it up today with our theme of the believer and the faith. The believer and the faith, and that is the mirror image. Remember, we're using our inversion pattern, and that is the mirror image of what we see in verse 3. So, again, we're going to be covering Jude 20 through 23 today, and you're going to see that same theme uh, it was repeated, or it is being repeated here, but it was first introduced to us in verse 3. So, let us pause for a moment and read the words of the one true and living God. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and on some having compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. So here we have a contrast to the previous previous verses. Jude has been denunciating the false teachers, and now he's giving some positive encouragement to us. There's more to this fight than simply opposing false teachers. Not only are we to oppose false teaching, but we are to live and spread the gospel. So what do I mean by living and spreading the gospel? Well, friends, I mean sharing your faith. I mean telling others about Christ. I mean the way we live should be a reflection of our Savior. A changed life should be evident in us. And I don't want you to get confused. I'm not talking about working for our salvation, but I am saying that when Christ comes in, a change takes place. I don't think the way I used to think. I don't talk the way I used to talk. I don't have a world view that I used to have. Everything has been changed because of Jesus. So I live a certain way. Not so that I can be saved, but because he did save me and my body has now become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we touched on that in the previous episode. But additionally, we need to use our words. You know, I, uh, I saw a plaque somewhere at some time and it sounded so cool at the time when I read it. I thought, man, that is something else. And the saying went like this, preach the gospel always sometimes use words. And of course, the point there is live your life in a way that reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's a cute little saying, and I suppose it's been attributed to some saint from long ago. I don't remember. Um, but the, the problem with that saying is it's not in Scripture. There's nothing in Scripture that says keep your mouth shut, right? So there is a time where we are to speak the gospel to our friends, our family, our neighbors, those who we work with. We all come in contact with different people because we're all in different walks of life. And be sensitive. Use your discernment. You do have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Have some wisdom. 
don't be a jerk about it. You know, so many times it's not that people don't want to hear what you have to say. It's the way that you present it. You know, think about our Savior who is gentle and meek and mild. Was he angry? Absolutely. There were times where he got fired up, and we're going to talk about that a little bit here in um, the section that we're on right now in the book of Jude. There is a time to uh, ramp it up a little bit, but there's also a time to spread the gospel, to speak the truth in love. And remember that God's given you grace, and we ought to turn around and be a reflection of that grace and ref and and give grace to others as we present the truth of Christ. So as a Christian, it says here that you are to build yourself up in Christ. Now again, I want to use some caution here. Jude is not telling us to work for our salvation. He's also not talking about a pep rally. He's not talking about getting hyped up. He's not talking about what we see among our Pentecostal and charismatic friends who work themselves up into some kind of a frenzy. That's not what's being discussed here. What he's using here is an analogy that we've seen before. And if you're a student of the scriptures and if you've read in other places, um, I would direct your attention to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. He says, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. And then Paul states in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17, he says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So these anointed authors compare the Lord's true church to a building. And the most holy faith that Jude mentions here is consistent with the faith that we read about in verse 3. Remember I told you this is a reflection of a topic that was covered earlier in the book of Jude. So ours is a faith of the foundational message given by the prophets and the apostles. In Ephesians 2, chapter 20 through 20, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, Paul states, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Folks, one reason that I believe the sign gifts are not for the church today, as I brought out in the last episode, is partly because of this verse. You see, once the foundation to a building has been laid, we don't continue to build another foundation on top of the foundation, and then a foundation on top of that, and so on. No, the foundation was given by God through his apostles, and the sign gifts were part of their authentication. In other words, they did miraculous things. They did speak in languages that they had not uh, previously known. 
there were interpreters who interpreted that language for the pagan audience who were hearing the gospel for the first time. So sign gifts definitely were there, and these were gifts of the Holy Spirit. But the foundation of the church has already been established. And as the apostles died off and that first generation died away, those gifts faded from the scene because the foundation of the church was already laid. And this is so important because our Pentecostal friends and charismatic friends, they actually cheapen this. Now, they don't mean to. In fact, they actually would think that they are doing things correctly and elevating Christ and elevating the work of the Spirit. But they're actually not practicing things correctly, even if it was a real manifestation of those gifts they're still not doing it correctly according to the scriptures. And it brings me to this other point, and that is praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, unlike false teachers, true Christians are controlled by the Holy Spirit, and our prayers are in accordance with what the Bible teaches us about a life controlled by him. Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 through 18 says, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So, Paul gives instructions here, and, and there's another place too, and I'll just read this one as well. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now, this is where, if I haven't already offended Pentecostals and Charismatics, uh, who might be listening to this, I'd be frankly surprised at this point if any Pentecostals are listening to me. But if you are here and you're listening and you're a Pentecostal or you're a Charismatic, or maybe you're not, or you're what I would call a continuationist. In other words, you may not have experienced these gifts for yourself, but you think it's still going on in the church today. You just haven't experienced it. Um, I just want to stress to you, my purpose here is not to offend. I am not looking for a debate. I don't want to debate with anybody or argue about these things. I'm not looking for a fight. But I am going to tell you the truth according to God's word. Now, if you're looking for some place in the scriptures where it says, point blank, all the signed gifts have ceased after this date, Thou shalt not speak in tongues anymore. It's not in there. Okay? But this is where consistency comes in. This is where context comes in. Again, knowing the audience, knowing the time period that we're in, and knowing what was going on historically and culturally at the time that the books were written. So, I just want to emphasize to you, if you're listening to this, and you're open to those kinds of things, 
my point here is not to offend you, but my point is to give you the truth of God. Romans 8.26 says this, The Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. And all of these references I've given here, uh, several scripture verses, I've just um, given you scriptures that I would point to, to put a stop to the so-called operation of the sign gifts. Primarily, it's speaking in tongues. There's other things that go on too in Pentecostal circles, but the emphasis is always on tongues. In fact, um, in the Assemblies of God denomination, it, it actually is part of their doctrine, and the Church of God is this way also. They teach the same thing, that the evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. And they'll point to scriptures like this one in Romans 8.26, where it says, The Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And they'll say, you see, the Holy Spirit is the one who takes over me, and I don't even know how to pray. I've been praying, but my prayers aren't effective. They're not, they're not going anywhere. They're just bouncing off the walls. And the Holy Spirit comes into me, and I begin to speak in tongues. And now the Holy Spirit is making intercession for me with groanings that cannot be uttered. Friends, that is not what this scripture is about. And they will say that to pray in the Spirit means that you've got to speak in tongues. And just let me be clear, okay, especially here in the West. And this is just a fact. It is an absolute fact. Linguists have attended Pentecostal services looking for a language, okay? It is gibberish. It is not a language. And I really challenge you, if you happen to be listening to this and you believe in that, be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. It's very subjective. Don't go by your emotions and don't say, well, I feel this way or I feel that way or I felt the Holy Spirit. Your feelings can deceive you. And I would just say, hey, you know, the Muslim who feels a certain way may strap a bomb to himself because he feels that that's what God wants him to do, right? The Latter-day Saints who come knocking on your door, they want to tell you about the burning in their bosom. It's a feeling that they have, right? They want to bear their testimony. So friends, you can't go by feelings. You have to go by the Word of God. It doesn't mean that I don't feel or I don't have emotions, but that is not what guides my doctrine. That is not what guides what we teach and believe. I don't go by feelings. Just happened to be looking up here in the video and I noticed my hair is going crazy. So I'm going to try to get it out of the way there. But let's get back on target here and not talk about my hair. <laughs> what is meant by this scripture in Romans 8.26? Well, here's what is meant. And I mean this with as much grace as I can gather. These passages have nothing to do with tongue talking, but they do have something to do 
with the Holy Spirit who strengthens us, those of us who are believers in Jesus. Christians often wonder how to pray. And friends, when we are weak, he is shown to be strong. And and I just want to expand on that a little bit, dear Christian. You are always weak. <laughs> I am always weak, especially when compared with the power of Christ. Okay, we are always weak. We are always in need. And sometimes we do wonder how to pray. And the disciples certainly wondered about it. And that's when Jesus taught them what we have come to call the Lord's Prayer, which is a template that he gave for our benefit that we might learn how to pray. But there's times whenever maybe you're in your quiet time, your own prayer time, and you don't even know how to express yourself. And this is what happens, dear ones, according to this scripture that I just read. We have such a relationship with God through Christ that the Holy Spirit is already interceding for us. And I want you to think about this. There is a conversation already happening within the Trinity on your behalf. You see, prayer is something which is exclusive to the believer. It's so funny to me how people don't want to believe in God, but yet when the crisis comes, they want to pray. Ever notice that? And maybe if they don't feel like they can, they know you are a Christian, so they ask you to pray. And prayer is something that's exclusive to the believer. If you're praying and you don't believe in Christ, you really are talking to yourself. It's an exclusive thing for the one who is a born-again child of the living God. So we have been made right with God, and he has fellowship with us, and we have fellowship with him, and prayer is an important part of that relationship. So how does God speak to us? It's not through a word of prophecy given by a false teacher. It's not by tongues and gibberish and all the rest of that. He speaks to us through the Bible. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in our heart that opens our understanding. R.C. Sproul put it this way, and I'm going to read a quote from R.C. He says, when, I'm sorry, we then speak to God about himself, ourselves, and people in his world, shaping what we say as a response to what he has said. This unique form of two-way conversation continues as long as life lasts. Friends, do you realize that privilege? Do you have this kind of relationship with anyone in your life? Is there anything in your life that compares to prayer time with the Lord? And I would suggest for you to think about this. There isn't anything that compares to this kind of a relationship. So as we look back here at Jude verses 22 through 23, all I want to say about these verses is that Jude appears to be giving us a strategy or strategies, plural, in order to reach people with the truth. Galatians 6 verse 1 tells us that if someone is overtaken in any trespass, that you who are spiritual are to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Jude seems to be in agreement with that 
as he states that with some we are to have compassion, he says here. However, there are some that are going to have to be confronted with a certain boldness. And I mentioned this at the beginning when I was talking about living our life in such a way that it reflects Christ and that we are going to have to open our mouth and speak at some point. But I also mentioned that there are times where you do need to be a little bit aggressive. You know, I think about um, what Jude is saying here when he says it's like pulling them out of the fire and hating even the garment that was defiled by the flesh. So um, one illustration that I've heard is imagine a building on fire and you have family or you have friends inside that building. Are you going to try the gentle approach? Hey guys, you might want to consider, you know, it's just a suggestion, but the building is on fire. Maybe we should get out of here. Or are you going to grab them by the arm or by the shoulders? Or are you literally going to pick them up and do the fireman's carry if you have to, to get them out of there? Are you going to yell? Maybe raise your voice a little bit. Hey, is there anybody in here? We need to get out of this building. It is on fire. You know, Jude mentions here the garment that is defiled or stained by the flesh. And when we keep this in context, we cannot help but think about the contamination of false teaching. It's insidious because it sounds right. It's a lie mixed with a little bit of truth. And I once heard uh, an illustration like this um, that was used in an I may have used it. I don't really remember, but I know I heard somebody else use it. It's a great illustration. You know, we're going to make a pan of brownies and we're going to serve these brownies, but we are going to put about, you know, one tenth of a half a percent of sewage into the brownies. Now it's going to be like 99.999% pure brownies, true, but it is going to have just that little tiny bit of sewage mixed in with the brownies. Would you want to eat it? Would you want to eat that? I mean, it's just a small percentage. It's almost all right. Well, of course, the answer is no. Nobody in their right mind would want brownies mixed in with even just a little tiny, tiny, tiny bit of sewage, right? It doesn't make sense. And yet, when it comes to spiritual things, some of the things that these false teachers say is correct. Some of it is actually a correct statement, but it's mixed in with a lie. You got almost all truth, but there's a little bit of a lie in there. And I would dare say that even in the case of a false teacher, it's probably about 90% lie and 10% truth. But people hear the truth and they go, oh, well, it must be okay. Even though they might be wrong about some of these other things, like they've given these prophecies and not one single prophecy has ever come true. Not a single one ever. They do all these faith healings and on, upon research, we find out that not a single one of those healings was true. And yet people still believe them because they say some things that are correct. 
So what's Jude telling us here? He's telling us to be careful and to be gentle. The Holy Spirit is the one who will call his people out from under the influence of false teachers. And perhaps if you're listening to me and you've been listening to false teachers, the Holy Spirit is dealing with you right now, bringing you out of false teaching. And remember, in whatever action we take as Christians to pull our friends out of that, we are to have compassion on those who have been misled. As I said before, this is not about winning a debate. I frankly don't care who wins the debate. I'm not into it at all, not even a little bit, but I am after the truth and I am motivated by love for my neighbor. It's about seeing the Holy Spirit do his work and those who are called. Now, as usual, let me explain this just a little bit more. We're almost done with this episode. God draws his people to himself. He causes them to see their need for a savior. So some people hear of God's love and they respond to him in love because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And others hear the call of God and they respond to him in fear because they realize if something doesn't change, my destination is hell. And I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to die and get on the other side of this life and find out that I'm in trouble with God. So I'm going to say a little tiny prayer here. I'm going to repeat after the pastor. He's going to give me the words to say. I'm going to repeat those words. And, and because I said those words, I know I'm going to be saved. Friends, if that is your motivation... I'm going to encourage you to examine your heart and your mind and your life and determine if you really are saved. Because if you are confessing words that a pastor or preacher told you to say and your motivation is fear, that is, I don't want to go to hell, so I better go ahead and say these words. Friends, that's not salvation, okay? <laughs> that's not salvation. In fact, I would encourage you to search the scriptures and find where that exists. Name one time where an apostle or a preacher or a prophet or anyone, Old Testament or New Testament, said just repeat these words and if you repeat these words, you've got a golden ticket with God. It's not in there. You know, it's like that song, everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. This is what salvation is. Christ says, take up your cross and follow me. Christ says, if you want to live, you've got to die. If you want to live, you must die to yourself. If you want to follow me, you got to leave it all behind. If you want to follow me, you're going to love me so much that you will hate your family. What's he saying? That sounds awfully contradictory. What he's saying is, is that when you follow me, Jesus demands of his followers 100% dedication. Our love for him is so great that it will look like we hate everything else around us because we have placed him 
as number one. See, that's a very different message than what is going forth in a lot of pulpits today. Frankly, I would dare say the majority of what has been called evangelism, not evangelicalism. It's an easy believism. It's this idea that you can somehow say a few magic words and you're saved. In fact, I've asked people, how do you know that you're saved? And they'll say, well, because I prayed the prayer. And remember, I was talking to you about tradition and ideas of men. And somewhere, these people that I've talked with, and in particular, there's one young person that I was talking to, he had it in his head that if he said these words, then he was saved. And friends, I do believe this. When the Lord saves you, you will say those words. Believe me, I confess my sins and I want Jesus in my life. I want him in my heart. I want him in my mind. I want him in every aspect of my life. So I will confess. And the Bible even says that it is with the mouth that confession is made unto salvation. So what am I driving at here? What I'm saying is, is that don't come to Christ out of fear. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying don't think that because you repeated some words that you did actually come to Christ. I'm bringing that into question into your own mind. 1 John 4, 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So dear friends, if I only think that I came to Christ and I did so out of fear alone, am I really saved? And I believe that the only reason one comes to Christ is because the Father has drawn them. Because that's what the scripture says. So when that happens, there is no fear. You see, what there is is an assurance, which is the topic for our next episode. So stay tuned. Thank you so much for listening. It means more than I can say. God bless you, and we'll catch up on the next episode. One, two, one, two. Yeah. Special dedication to my brothers and sisters on the great continent of Africa, the saints in Malawi, Ghana, Nigeria, Kenya, Zimbabwe. Don't be deceived by what America's sending y'all, yeah. man. Let me begin. While there's still ink left in my pen, I'm set to contend. For truth, you can bet will offend. Deception within. The church, man, who's letting them in? We talked about this years ago. Let's address it again. Yeah. And I ain't really trying to start beef. But some who claim to be part of the sheep got some sharp teeth. And cats get mean when you criticize them. But Jesus told us Matthew 7, 16, we can recognize them. And God forbid that for the love of some fans, I keep quiet and watch them die with their blood on my hands. So there's nothing left for me to do except to speak to you in the spirit of Jude 3 and 2 Peter 2. And I know that some will label me a Pharisee because today the only heresy is saying that this heresy. I'll dare to be specific and drop some clarity on the popularity of the gospel of prosperity. 
celebrity, turn off TBN. That channel is overrated. The pastors speak bogus statements, financially motivated. It's kind of like a pyramid scheme. Visualize heretics Christianizing the American dream. It's foul and deceitful. They're lying to people. Teaching that camel squeeze through the eye of a needle. Ungodly and wicked. Ask yourself, how can they not be convicted? Treating Jesus like a lottery ticket. And you're thinking they're not the dangerous type. Cause some of the statements are right. That only proves that Satan comes as an angel of light. This teaching can't be believed without a cause. The lie is you can achieve a crown without a cross. And I hear it all the time when they speak on the block. Even unbelievers are shocked how they're in the flock. It should be obvious then. Yeah, I'll explain why it's sin. Peep the Bible is sin. First Timothy 6, 9 and 10. It talks about how the desire for riches has left many souls on fire in stitches, mired in ditches. Tell me, who would teach you to pursue as a goal? The very thing that the Bible says will ruin your soul, huh? Yet they're encouraging the love of money to make it worse. They've exported this garbage into other countries. My heart breaks even now as I'm rhyming. You want to know what all false teachers have in common? What? It's called selfism, the fastest growing religion. They just dress it up and call it Christian. Don't be deceived by this funny biz. If you come to Jesus for money, then he's not your God. Money, money is. Jesus is not a means to an end. No. The gospel is he came to redeem us from sin. And that is the message forever I'll yell. If you're living your best life now, you're headed for hell. Talk to him. Joe Alstein. Alstein Let him know. Crackle Dollar is a Alstein Well, Benny Hinn is a Alstein I know they're popular, but don't let them deceive ya. Talk to him. T.D. Jakes is a Alstein among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction and many will follow their sensuality and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed and in their greed they will exploit you with false words their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3.